Greg Braden. Jack Canfield. Marianne Williamson. James Van Praag. Hi, everyone. This is Neil Donald Walsh, and I'm happy to tell you that you're listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman. Stick around. Your life could change any minute. Welcome. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman on KXFM 104.7. Broadcast from Laguna Beach, California, all over the world. Y'all know the gig. Sex, relationships, dream interpretation. We talk about it all. We don't tell you what to do, and we don't tell you how to do it. And there's one very simple reason for that. It's not our frigging lives. It's your life. It's your choice. It's your happiness. It's your power. It's your timing. What we do is introduce you to pathways and possibilities. What you do with that is entirely up to you. At the end of the day, we have one intention and one intention alone. It's to help you realize you are the magic. And it's a privilege to just be able to help you understand that, to help you realize that, especially when there's so many other things pulling us away from the recognition of who we are and how wonderful we are and how powerful we are and how much we are source energy. And baby, you better buckle up because we got a show for you tonight. I am here with my evil twin, Noella Risley Downs. She no, she's a wonderful woman and an amazing psychic and a dear friend. And we are gonna have a blast and y'all are gonna have fun laughing along with us. And we'll be back with more inner journey right after this. Had a dream of a place where people spoke as if dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I fell from the trees. Two moons hung in the sky. You the sky. Nobody lived in a fist. Nobody on their knees begging. Don't 
Carolyn Mace, and you're listening to Inner Journeys with Greg Friedman. Yes, you are. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, broadcast from Laguna Beach, California, all over the world. Now, I'm going to tell you something. For about the last six weeks, in one way or another, during this time of the program, I've been talking about one thing. It takes all kinds of different forms. It has different formats. It has different flavors. But at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Love. The disillusion of the notion that we are separate from source energy. If we realized, if we were to understand, if we were to incorporate into our beings that we are universal energy, we are source energy, we are God energy, there is no difference. You hear me say this all the friggin' time. We are both a drop in the ocean and the ocean itself. And anything other than that is the source of so much insanity in the world. If you look around, we don't hate each other. We are love. And the more we love ourselves, the more we could see that love reflected in every single face that we see. And the more that we could relax into the understanding that this brother, this sister, this mother, this daughter, this son are all parts of my own being. We are one and the same. And I have no interest in causing harm to myself and I have no interest in causing harm to you. And the way that we're going to get to that point is to stand up and recognize that 7 billion people are stronger than the 8 people that are greedy, mm -hmm, that hold all the money. All of this that's done in a lot of different ways and a lot of different causes that they rile us up to believe are the truth often come down to money and power. And as we shift our concept of money, we will also shift their ability to have power over the majority. And we will stand up and we will not fight one another. We will hold one another. We will do it energetically, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And I say this every week, I am a schmo. That means some days I want to punch somebody and some days I want to hold somebody. I am not holier than thou. I am learning. But what I'm learning more than anything is somebody that's well-educated, well-fed, and respected has no interest in going and killing or hurting or maiming another. Please, Remember this, it is up to each one of us because each one of us is only a drop. What can a drop do? Or what can an ocean do? Because you are also the ocean. Stand up, get up, be counted, be love, be universal source energy. Because at the end of the day, that's all there is. And we'll be back with more Inner Journey with Greg Friedman and our guest, Noella Risley Downs, 
an unbelievably wonderful psychic right after this. I think you all know this one. Rock on Satnam.
we'll see it, we'll be it when we believe it. There's a gift in this moment if you choose to receive it. Welcome back. That was Larissa Stowe and Shakti Tribe. Uh, they were on the show two weeks ago and also at an amazing collective event in Larchmont Village here in Los Angeles just last weekend as well. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman on KXFM. Social media is Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, and the website is gregfriedman.com. All right, y'all, I've been talking about this for a while now. I have had the privilege of having some of the world's best and most well-renowned psychics on the show. And I'm not saying anything in any way, shape, or form negative about them, but when I spend time with Noella Risley Downs, there is a simplicity, and I've always found, and people ask me a lot of times why I work with indigenous elders, and I say because the truth is simple, and that's how elders communicate things. That's how Noella communicates things. Her readings are very elegant and simple and concise and easy to ingest, and when you want to argue with what she says, she has the best response in the world. You know what that is? It's okay, because she's putting out through source what she is receiving as a conduit. What you do with that and how you feel about that is not up to her, and she is wise enough to know that. Noella, thank you for coming all the way down here, and welcome to Inner Journey. Thank you, Greg. I'm happy and very excited to be here. I'm going to just jump in with the first question I ask everybody. You know, we have had everybody and their cousin on this show. We've had authors and artists and shaman and medicine men, people of service of all kinds of different walks. Marianne Williamson, Carolyn Mace, Greg Brayton, Neil Donald Walsh, Bruce Lipton. Every single one of them has said that there was a catalyst that thrust them into really understanding who they are in a significant aspect of their journey. I know you got like 42,000 <laughs> stories. Which one are you going to share tonight? I think there's two catalysts, but one was obviously my spiritual awakening, which happened about 15 years into me being a psychic. So being a psychic had a lot to do with just positioning the timing. I was in LA being an actress, it was my side gig, and it just kind of blew up. It just became this huge career that I didn't expect to happen. But um, in 2014, I had a nervous breakdown, basically, or a psychotic break, whatever you want to call it. No, what do you call it? I call it a spiritual awakening. But at the time, the physical you know, outcoming of it was a nervous breakdown. It was a breakdown. And, and what did that look like? It looked like me um, losing my memory for a week. It looked like me being in the hospital and waking up and discovering that I had completely checked out and I didn't know who I was and um, basically my life falling apart for the next year. And um, basically for me, what I understood from that time period was that I needed to do something drastically different from what I was doing if I wanted not only to live, but if I wanted to have a different life experience that I, than I was having up until then. Which, so, <clears throat> what were you doing before? 
Well, I was I was having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was having a really good time. I was um, I had be, I had been being a psychic and being in that that particular career at a time when I was also you know, pursuing acting. I was fortunate enough to meet people that were in the entertainment business who then decided that they really liked me as a psychic and started promoting me in that way. So I was appearing on TV and I was appearing at big events, you know, big events with like celebrities and doing parties and doing privates. And so I got into that whole circle of people, which was extremely fortunate. But being in that then also meant being able to keep up with that. And I was a partier. I mean, at that time, that's what we were doing. You know, I came out of college, we partied, and then I was in acting, and that's what people did. And I just care about what you did. So, well, that's what I did because at the time, I was a big, um, I was a big, um, I don't want to say I was a follower, but I, I enjoyed, number one, I enjoyed partying, but I was so much about getting the feedback of being liked and being seen and being in the right place and being known. I was so much locked into that. And although I didn't see it that way, that's what I was doing. You know, I was looking for validation always outside of me. So that meant a lot of times hanging with people that could party hard, you know, hard drugs, hard drinking for days. And after a while, you're keeping up with that. Not, not just because they didn't force me. I was having a good time. But at a certain point, I did not, I realized I did not have the capacity for that, but I kept going. So at some point I realized I have actually a problem, but I, I wasn't willing to quit either because, again, I was having fun at the same time. So there's a lot of regrets and there's a lot of feeling bad about stuff, but not enough to say I need to really, really stop. And when I would stop, I'd get good enough where I could kind of sneak it back in there. And, <laughs> and, and eventually I had the breakdown and, and that you know, led to a, a series of events. So you were partying super, super hard. And, and don't let me put words in your mouth. Well, Depends on what you call super hard. I think compared, I wasn't like shooting drugs or anything like that, but I was I was drinking and drugging every weekend, every single weekend, mm -hmm. no doubt about it. And what what was the culmination that led up to your breakdown? What was it that really pushed you over to that place? Um, it wasn't one thing. It I had a lot of things that happened in a row. One was um, the ending of my marriage. Um, and a, a subsequent relationship that was very short-lived and sort of just uh, fell apart and then forced me to have to look at myself, realizing that um, I was on my own suddenly, running out of money, my, my alimony started to run out, and I wasn't really taking care of those kinds of things. I was just living, mm -hmm. and I couldn't keep up the lifestyle I had with my husband because I, I didn't realize it at the time, but my husband had, my ex-husband had kind of been my gatekeeper, and I had never noticed that. So all of a sudden I'm doing everything I want or I think I want, I think I'm free suddenly. And all of a sudden I'm running out of money and no one's there to make sure I'm okay and that I'm getting home okay. And I'm starting to be around the wrong kind of people and I'm dating the wrong kind of people. And it culminated into me um, basically realizing at one point like, oh my God, like I'm lost, I'm lost. And I, I uh, was seeing somebody that was extremely toxic and um, my reaction to that was to freak out and run out of his apartment, run down a, a flight of stairs, fall, hit my head, wake up and sort of be like, not even realize where I was and just kind of go on as if nothing had happened, continued my days, did a couple of things that kind of just pushed me to the edge and then woke up in the hospital. You just, at some point there was this gap of what you were doing and being in the hospital. 
Yeah, I mean, there's moments like I remembered wandering on the street for like a, a few hours. I remember driving someone's car and stopping in the middle of the street and getting out and, and, and looking in the mirror and just, I don't know what I'm doing in this car. I don't know who I am. Like, I had no idea. Whose car was it? Come to find out it was my neighbors <laughs> um, who I had been helping move and who had been part of the reason I think I kind of got pushed over the edge. I moved on a day when I shouldn't have been. I'd had hit my head mm -hmm. and I hadn't realized I had a, probably a concussion. And um, he had asked me to drive his car and I had said no because at the time I had a DUI and I knew I couldn't. And he argued with me and I just didn't have the wherewithal to say no. And in the middle of driving it, I do remember freaking out and just pulling over and just going, oh my God, like I can't, what am I doing? I can't drive somebody's car and then blackout. And you woke up in the hospital. Yeah. Did you I, know who you were? No, I didn't know for, I think I remembered the doctor coming in and out uh, every, every whenever I'd wake up and he'd ask me a few questions. My name was Jane Doe at the time. So they'd just be like, Jane, do you remember anything today? You know, that kind of thing. And I just didn't know what was happening. They'd come and draw my blood every few hours. They had to keep you up. You know how you, they, when you're in the hospital and they think it's a drug overdose or something like that, they, they keep a light on you and they keep you up. They keep coming up every hour to wake you up, which is enough to drive anyone to madness, really. But um, eventually I started to remember bits and pieces. And, and one day I just woke up and I was like, oh my God, I think I have a sister. And I think she lives in like, uh, in, in Magic Mountain or something. I can't remember what I said, but uh, mm -hmm. the doctor was like, you remember anything else? And I remembered her, her, the name of her practice. That was it. And so they called the practice and my sister had been looking for me for days. And they had this whole Facebook thing that was going on. And my ex-husband had flown back from Hawaii and he was looking for me and it was really a mess. It was a, it was a very embarrassing time very humiliating for me at the time and also very shocking. You know, it was like I had, everything was out in the open suddenly. You know, everything I'd been hiding, there's no more hiding. And I heard you say it was a spiritual awakening. Yeah. How so? Because um, once I, uh, well, one, I was, when I started coming out of that, of that psychotic break or whatever, I started, I was in the, first of all, I was in the best mood. Like it was like I was on vacation. It wasn't, and I, and I thought at the time. Am Wait, I, <laughs> I just want to make sure I understand you. I was like you flying high. in the hospital. Yeah. Simultaneously going woohoo at the same time you're going, I'm so ashamed. Yeah, both things would happen. That's why I also was like, that's why, you know, it depends on how you want to frame it. Like that is not normal behavior. But the reason I see it as a spiritual awakening was because what I was experiencing mentally was, for one thing, I saw Jesus during that time, and I kept seeing I'm Jesus. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I love when people just casually go, "Oh yeah, you know," and Jesus and I were hanging out. <laughs> it's like you know, we went to brunch. <laughs> it's like what? It you back it up, okay. slow it down, if All you right. would, please. All right, it wasn't like that. It was just that I felt like. I could just feel the presence of God and Jesus specifically around me all the time. And so when I'd be, you know, they'd have us come out and do like these exercises in these chairs because we could, I couldn't really move very well. I, I, I didn't mention that I, when I came out, the doctor said they thought I had suffered a mini stroke when I had hit my head. We, we pieced things together and they said, I think you might have had a stroke. We looked at your brain scan and it looks like there's some kind of mass there. And um, they'd done a drug test and they realized there's no drugs in me. So that they had to rule that out. So 
um, I couldn't really move my body very eloquently at the time. I could walk, but I wasn't very, <laughs> I wasn't very coordinated. So th- we did these exercises in the courtyard, all of us in these little chairs, and we'd move our hands and just stuff they have to do. And I would be sitting there, and I'd be like, I would see the sun, and I would just to me, I was seeing the sun, like I was seeing God. So I would, I would just think everything was lovely. I just thought everything was wonderful. I didn't. So. so- you see God and you go, are you freaked out? Are you comforted? Do you have a conversation? I mean, I'm comforted. I mean, when, what happened that I do remember is when I was first woke up in the hospital, I remember just um, right before I, 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 I woke up in the hospital, I had um, had that moment where I said I stopped the car in the middle of the street and I was freaking out. And I just remember screaming and just going, God, if you even exist at all, I, I need you to show me something because otherwise I don't want to be here. Like I didn't want to kill myself, but I was just like, I'm done. Like I don't want this. I didn't know what else to do. And then I went into like a really big hallucinogenic journey of whatever. Like it was crazy. So- whoa, 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 whoa. See, you're talking to a person that goes, sometimes the things that people think are the craziest are the sanest. Okay. So when you say that you went into, a, so were you, was it a vision you were having was it a hallucination? And how do you distinguish? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that there's, I felt like it was as if I was, that whole time when I was out, when I didn't remember who I was, mm. every time I would close my eyes, I'd be like in a different world to me. And you could look, it wasn't dreams exactly, but it was like very, uh, very poignant, different things were happening. It would be like I was living a little life each time, but usually it was not fun. It was usually very um like the more like when you have a psychedelic trip when sometimes you have these sort of meetings with entities or you have these whole scenarios play out and and the whole life might play out and and they were very wrenching sort of things and then when i came out it was very the opposite it was very blissful i felt happy i felt blissful i was i i was in the hospital and that was weird but i was in a great mood and i felt like safe and protected i remember talking to everyone on the floor and being the sane one kind of with everyone there was 5150, so everyone was nuts. But I was one of them, right? I was one of the nuts. But I was I was the one that was always talking to everyone and saying, are you okay? And like, yeah, I'll sit with you. And, you know, sitting in the cafeteria and having a conversation with the staff. And I was very peaceful. And it was the first time I'd been peaceful in years. And, you know, so I that's when, and, and my, the presence of God was there a lot. I, I saw Jesus when I first came. I remember just seeing him like this bright light and the, what, what I would imagine Jesus looked like, call it a, a vision, call it a hallucinogenic thing, but I remember hearing him and just knowing I was safe, safe, and so I just felt safe and happy. And that lasted for probably two months. Now, did you have any kind of dialogue or energetically, non-verbally, verbally? Did you have any interaction not, not, not the way you're thinking. The, in this, the only, the only time I really saw him was when I first came out. But then mm. after that, when I'd be like making a walk on the street or whatever, once I got out of the hospital, I would just know he was with me, like or God was with me. I didn't see anything at that point. I just would. Everything felt very blissful, and uh, I can only. Ex- and that's why I know it was different than being a psychotic break because I was very peaceful and blissful, and I was sane in what I was talking about. But I felt insane in that I was, why was I blissful, you know? And also, I knew that there were things I was doing, like when I'd walk like that, I couldn't, be, I was not, my, my, my dexterity was completely off, my balance was off. So I knew something had happened in my brain. 
So there's this dichotomy of experiences that were happening. One was that on a very visceral, physical feeling was that I'm not well. And if I, if I looked at myself in the mirror, I was not well. Like my eyes, I don't know if you know this, but when you have a stroke or if you have any kind of mental condition, there's something that happens with your eyes. My, one of my eyes was not, was not lined up. So I looked crazy. You know, um, if you see pictures of me back then, which my cousin I think has, I don't even look at them anymore because it's kind of stressful, but I looked like I was not well, you know? It's interesting. I was supporting a sweat lodge, and there's a man who happened to have been a fairly big-time producer in the lodge, mm-hmm. and it was his birthday, and he wanted to be reborn. And mm-hmm. when he came out, he didn't know how to walk. He didn't know mm-hmm. how to put on his socks. He didn't know how to do huh. anything. Interesting. Was it similar energetically to that? It was It was not just energetic. It was a lot of things. Like there was things like I couldn't watch TV for like a year. Like I couldn't watch it. You. What it would look like was, it, you know what was, this is why I know it was different than if I just had um, a mental break. I used to be, by the way, addicted to TV. Like I'd wake up, that was going on. I was a huge fan of Supernatural, the show. I watched every single episode. I was down, right? <laughs> but when I went through that period... When I would look at the TV, and this happens now a lot, is it looked like a stage. And no matter how well it was shot, how it felt like I was, I felt like, why are they trying to fool us with that? That looks like so janky. It didn't look real to me. And it was weird because I was always so convinced by films before that. So it was not fun anymore. So I didn't want to. And then when I'd read a book, I couldn't, I just couldn't. Like I, my eyes wouldn't, uh, couldn't make sense of what was on this, on the page. Couldn't process it. Couldn't process it, and I'd get and I'd get a, a headache, and my eyes would hurt. I couldn't do readings at all, at all, and I'd always had been using that to ha- sort of help me. Like even now, if I'm not feeling that great, I'll I'll schedule a reading with someone because something about that just takes me out of myself, and I'm peaceful again. But I couldn't. So everything that I liked to do that made me feel a little bit better, or at least checked me out for a little bit, nothing wouldn't work. So you're being forced to be present. Yes, very. And how'd that feel? Because I was in a state of bliss, it felt great at first. You know, for the first two months, it was pretty cool. Like, I liked it. I, f- I kept thinking, like, I'm so lucky. I'm so happy. And I, I moved down to live with my sister in Hemet. <laughs> Hemet, Valencia, whatever, Magic Mountain. Hemet is, like, I don't want to be too disparaging, but it's not the place you'd normally choose to live. And I uh, Heaven can take on all kinds of different forms. I voluntarily went. And I thought it was heaven for the first two, two months. I, I liked it. And then what changed? Honestly, I, I woke up one morning and it was the bliss was gone. Really? I, yeah, just like that. I literally woke up one, I went to bed, I was good. I woke up and it was like, oh my God. And I remember I woke up my cousin because she was the one helping me through it. I just said, what am I doing here? Oh my God. Like, I, did, I, did I give up my apartment? I, I was, as if I had been checked out and didn't remember any of the stuff I'd done, any of the decisions I'd made. And this huge panic came over me and I was just like, oh my God, I gave up my whole life. And I'm here in this, what am I doing here? And I just felt trapped and horrible and infuriated that everyone had let me do that. Let me do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? (laughs) If you know Noelle at all, (laughs) she chooses. Very much. I I barreled my way into living there with her. I chose, my sister had given me an option. I said, nope, I'm going down to Hammett, living with Dorothy. You know, and um, yeah, that was a pretty horrible time. From then on for Probably next two years was very, very difficult because that, that's why, I'm, again, the spiritual awakening part. What do you think caused the bliss to go away? 
I think that's what happens when you have an awakening. You know, I think the initial part, you, if you're lucky, as like I was, where you have some kind of a, an awakening, like a real um, third eye opening or whatever, um, you, you're, if you're lucky, you get to have that bliss state and sort of like a, a nirvana state where you just feel connected to God and you feel like you, you're so fortunate and you feel like, why isn't everyone happy, you know? And then um, the dark night of the soul happens. And that and mine was real as well as internal, you know? And so for the next two years, you struggled. Very much. What did that struggle look like? Well, the first year was hard because I was now in Hemet and I, my cousin was helping me and she decided that the best way to do that was like, we're, we're killing all the, the drinking. That's, that's the one thing I know how to do well. She was a big 12-stepper. She had done the recovery program. She said, that will give you at least the foundation to rebegin your life. So we're doing it. I said, I'll do anything you want. Like, I just need to, I don't have a plan. So I did it. I did. I went religiously every day to AA meetings. I went to church every day. I, I did everything I could to get my head straight. I decided at that point, oh, I'm going to be a Christian because I had seen Jesus. So I figured that would be the way, even though it felt really uh, a little off. But my cousin is a very devout Christian and I admire her. So I thought, well, that's the way. My way wasn't the way. So I'll try her way. And I did. And, um, and, and then I started to get really desperate that I was stuck there, that I was, this was my punishment, that I had gotten myself into this fix. And then a bunch of things just happened in my life and my family. Why do you feel like you were punished? Because I felt I deserved it. Why do you feel like you deserved it? I thought I did think I deserved it because I had been an, an, an addict in my behavior. I felt like I'd been very reckless. I felt that I had been given chance after chance to clean up my act, and I'd taken it and then blown it each time. And I felt like, of course, that's what they tell you. You know, I got my DUI. I went to the classes for six months. They tell you that again and again, do not mess up. Do not mess up. And although that's not what got me back in, like I didn't drink and then get somehow caught, um, my lifestyle was that of an addict, you know, still. And do you still feel like you should have been punished? No, not at all. I don't even think it was a punishment. What do you think it was? I think it was um, what was necessary for me to wake up. Yeah, and so that's why I asked that question. Yeah. In a lot of different Judeo-Christian cultures, mm -hmm. different religions, different dogmas, even you know different schools of morality, mm -hmm. they feel like, oh, well, you know, karma is all about punishing you. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's not how it works. Karma is all about offering you opportunities. Hundred percent. And in your case, you went through all of this. As an opportunity. Absolutely. And what was it an opportunity for? Well, I had prayed, right? I'd done that prayer, God, please show me that you're real and give me a reason, you know, because I didn't have one. And even though I went that route of Christianity, it was very quickly I realized that's not the route, but something is. Something is real here. Something saved me. I felt like something had given me that chance. I didn't think, if you talk to anyone that, that was around me at that time, not, even during the time I was down in Hemet, no one thought I was going to make it. My cousin didn't think I was going to be able to have a job or to work. She didn't think I'd get the, my brain cells would work again to that level. How bad were you? I mean, even like, so you got discharged from the hospital. Yeah. Were you articulate? I could talk, but if you talk to me for a little bit, you'd realize because I would get lost very easily. Like I'd get lost in walking the store. I'd get lost where I was. I, when I walked, I shuffled and I walked extremely slowly, but to me it felt like I was walking, like normal. Um, I couldn't sleep, so I'd, I'd, I'd wake up like five, seven times a night and just go do things. Like I remember one time walking to the gym at like four in the morning in Hammett. 
like there's no gym open at that time and by myself and be, and no one was awake to stop me you know that kind of mm. thing so just things that make you not be able to like be reliable at a job i i think when people talk to me they generally thought i was okay i mean i was going to the gym trying to get myself together and stuff and if you'd had a conversation with me i seemed pretty articulate but if you left me with any kind of responsibility you knew i didn't because i had no decision making skills whatsoever and how that was that frustrating for you no because i didn't know so you didn't even realize no i kept arguing with my cousin that you know i was fine and i didn't believe i'd had a stroke and i didn't believe that there was any problem and she'd have to say no like your brain was broken like you have to understand like you just can't see it like a broken leg but you can't operate you know you can't you're not doing a lot of things you do are not they're not normal you know and and that's in itself also kind of embarrassing so i think i would just think of it like well maybe it's just that cuz i used to drink you know i would just the the physical aspect of having a stroke was just i just wasn't going to have that and so how did you transition into acceptance acknowledgement and going working through it to where you are now Well basically what when I did the AA the 12 step I actually did it I did it every single step I did them devotedly so I started getting better just by virtue of doing that and learning forgiveness and learning to take inventory of things I needed and didn't and setting up an idea of what do I really want and scheduling those things for my future like okay in 5 years this is what I vision for myself saying I'm sorry to people um forgiving myself for a lot of things and and not having secrets being I was very glad you know for example that everyone had found out what had happened because uh, you know in and looking for me they had to dig through a lot of my stuff and everything came out and that you know they in alcoholics anonymous they say your secrets are your um are your sickness mm-hmm. and um and i've always held on to that so i'm not big on that anymore i mean i don't you know flaunt and tell everyone my stuff now but i don't hold secrets like everything that i'm telling you i probably would have never said you know 15 years ago before the breakdown i would have never talked about it i was always hiding all these flaws and and these behaviors but once it happened and once it was out there it was like what a relief like i don't have to hide it anymore and then also i completely decided i'm i'm never drinking again and well, all that so talk about that for a second because a lot of people don't really <clears throat> understand how much they're carrying around how many things it feel like weights rocks mm-hmm. that you're carrying around in a bag on your back because you're compartmentalizing that or not sharing that mm-hmm. or hiding this. Talk about that for a second, please. Well, I think number 1 in my family we were raised where, you know, we my parents raised us in a way where we were sort of an in-between kind of lifestyle. My my dad was a scientist and he was very well regarded and because of his positioning and everything, we lived very well, but most of the way we lived was based on being funded by different, you know, institutions and stuff, but it looked like we had a lot of money. So the facade was we had lots of money and the friends that we had and the fo- the social group we were at with, with were the highest end of of Kenya, right? Where I grew up. So you're in an illusion of what you be- you kind of believe you're in that life, right? And my parents were not great at making it clear where the money stopped and where just the privilege was, you know? And so there's a secret of like wanting to sort of keep up with the Joneses, not saying so and not trying to but that was the illusion and i don't think they pretended i just think that's what i learned from it that was one thing you grew up thing. in my family <laughs> i think i grew up in a lot of people's families but yeah there was that and then there was the idea that um 
you know, once I started drinking and stuff, of course, that's a secret. You know, you don't want to tell people how bad out of control you are. And there's a lot of mistakes you make. And there's, there's a lot of shame in that. And then I would quit for a while. And then I think I actually don't have a problem. And then I would start again and I would do some really more embarrassing things. And it just kept escalating. But I was around people that were doing the same thing. So after a while, you just start to compartmentalize. Not to mention, I didn't want to feel the feelings I was having. You know, I, it, was, it was much more fun to be high or to be drunk or to be partying. It wasn't fun to dig into whatever pain I might have thought I had, you know. And now what would you say about feeling those feelings? Oh, the exact opposite, right? Like, I mean, I don't love it. It's not like I enjoy, you know, purging my feelings, but I, I do it very regularly. I understand that it, a lot of the trauma is not even mine. It's not even from this lifetime in, in my in my. Uh, experience it's not it's i do think there's a lot of ancestral you know healing to be done in my family specifically i think everyone's but i i know my family history and so i know what was running us a lot of the time and so i think there's a lot of stuff from that i think there was a lot of shame for me not wanting my parents to know how i was being not wanting my husband even to know how i was feeling at the time and 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 i liked people liking me so there's a lot of the people pleasing aspect of like having to be certain ways within certain people and not being certain ways with other people, and then there's sexual repression stuff, because I'd grown up in Christian schools, so there's all that stuff. So I didn't even know that it was okay to feel all those things. Go back, and I'm not asking you to divulge mm -hmm. ancestral patterns unless you'd like to, mm -hmm. to illustrate, but talk about, because a lot of people don't, when they hear mm -hmm. there's ancestral stuff that needs to be resolved, they don't quite understand that. Okay, for, from my point of view, like I'm not... I'm not, don't quote me on all this. This is just my experience. Um, number one, I grew up in Kenya, which is, you know, there's a lot of tribal stuff. And so there's a lot of just stuff that just, just, just happened. It's not like centuries ago. So my parents grew up in these villages where they were really practicing their witchcraft or their village healers and spellcraft and stuff like that. And um, I do know that at a, at a young age, um, my, my oldest brothers were exposed to a lot of that. My parents had gone to England for a while and they had to leave the boys with my, their grandparents. And they told my parents as soon as they came back that they had been practicing witchcraft on them. My two older brothers were never normal. They were always in trouble. They were always addicts. They both died um, with drug overdoses and stuff. They, they both really had very insane lifestyles for that period of time specifically. They were very much the flower children era. Mm -hmm. um, my, 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 my much older brother was much more philosophical and a gentle soul. And he sort of followed the brother that was younger. They were a year apart. Norbert was very, very gregarious, big personality. All the girls liked him at school. He was the most popular guy. He was handsome. He played the guitar. He was the cool guy, right? Motorcycle. And he was the nut. He was complete out of his mind. And he, he had uh, schizophrenia, and he terrorized the family. But that was a family secret, right? So there's that. But he, they always said it was stemming from their time that they had had in the village. My mom would have, you know, the witch doctors and stuff come by our house to try to clear the house and the energy in the house. And so we're growing up, you know, going to Christian schools, but then having witchcraft happening at our house half the time. And how you do know? you feel about that? How do you feel about that now? Because you say witchcraft and like it's, you know, this evil thing, this shadowy thing. Um, I think that the witchcraft that they were practicing was. I don't think of witch. The, the, the word witchcraft to me can be taken many different ways. I think there are witches, like let's say we're talking about like American witches, you know, um, to me that's just more learning how to work with energy. 
But in in Kenya, at least the people that my mom was dealing with, it was very dark. I mean, you, I felt it. I knew it was, you know, and the, what they would be doing, uh, the, even just the, the, the kinds of um, herbs and stuff they would use that were very, very uh, ugly in their in their essence, you mm-hmm. know, and just the stuff. And then just how it would affect our household and how just the household started to feel very heavy. And I just didn't want to be at the house. And I had nightmares my whole childhood, like just horrible nightmares, you know. And, I, and, and at the time, I would know that. And I would say, Mom, I don't think this is okay. She didn't know what to do. She was trying to help her, her kids. So she didn't know what to do. She was doing what she knew. So there's a lot of that. But there's also like they grew up. Um, my both both parents, both sides. I think eight eight in one family and nine in another, and both of them had very sort of tragic, you know, lives. My mom's mom died when she was very young, and then she had to raise the kids. And one of the kids had you know, had to have his leg amputated. I mean, just really gnarly stuff. And so. I think that just carried on into us. And then, um, so I think ancestral trauma is much, it's not just about witchcraft and stuff. That's, that was just happened to be ours, you know? And when I say witchcraft, again, I'm not, I'm not um, d- being disparaging of witches or wizards or uh, magic. I love that stuff. But there's a dark side to anything, pretty much. I think there's a dark side to Christianity, right? So, and so you came out of this, you were devoutly um, going to the, AA classes. Yeah. You were devoutly going to church. When did you really realize, how did that transition into who you are now? Well, there's a point when I had, I committed to my cousin while I was there because she was helping me. She's a Christian that I wasn't doing readings. I couldn't anyway. And then there was a point when I realized like, if I'm going to get back to LA, I have to do what I know. Like I couldn't, I tried getting jobs there. I couldn't, Hammett, you can't get jobs. But I couldn't get a job and I couldn't think like that anyway. And it was going to take me years if I did that route. And I just remember one time just saying to her, like, can I just start doing readings again? And she, she was sort of surprised. She said, yeah, you could, you, could do, you could have done it the whole time. You just couldn't do it. You, you literally couldn't. But if you want to, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at you. You have to do what you need to do. So I started doing them. And um, it, what was surprising was my clients were right up. <laughs> They didn't care where I was. They were like, really? Like, you're going to be available? I was, I was doing like one a day, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, and that was hard because I had a very mixed feeling about it. I had, at the time, I had felt like that was what had kind of created this combination of events, was just being overwhelmed by too many people's energies and stuff. And my cousin had, con- you know, had, had given me the point of view that, well, you know, you're not supposed to really do this. In the Bible, it says not to do this. And so the demons that you have, have activated by doing this work is, is what's making you have this break down and everything so that was to me that that was her version of it and i kind of bought it for for a while well it's funny because one of the reasons i'm always reticent to have somebody that reads cards is because almost they will study cards they will look at what the cards mean and how to interpret them and open portals but almost nobody nobody closes cards and understands that if this was your house and you opened the door to let somebody in to have a conversation with them, when they left, you'd shut the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd probably clean the house afterwards. Mm-hmm. And almost nobody does that. I mean, I you'd be shocked at how many people go, oh, yeah, I read much better when I'm drunk. I'm like, what? <laughs> I used to think that. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't think I read better, but I thought I was fine. You know, and that's the worst time to do that, right? Of course. But no, what I what I did when I came back, I started to really, you see, because I'd had the awakening now. I wasn't just doing cards. Before that, that's what I was doing. It was just a thing I did. It wasn't a, a spiritual practice or anything. It was just something I could do. 
So suddenly it became like, now that I was not going to go the Christian route, it was like, well, what am I about, you know? And I'm going to do the readings, but now it means something different to me. I don't want to just give people advice and let let them to it, number one. Mm-hmm. I want to take a little bit more accountability for the direction I'm leading them. So I want, number one, clients that are actually interested in transformation. And I want also to not make them, I don't want to enable anybody. Where before it was enabled or not, that was not my business. It was like, if you need to come to me, I'll see you. So, I want to jump in here because we're getting close to the top of the hour. Yeah. And I want to make sure people know that if they want, they can call in and get a very quick, very succinct reading from you in yeah. the next hour. Yes. If they're going to do that, they have to do a couple things. You have to call when we're in a song break, one, and the number is 949-715-5936. That's 949 949- Seven one five five nine three six, and you guys will speak to one another, and I'll step out of the way, and whatever happens happens. And as I said, I've had some of the biggest psychics in the world here, and for years, you didn't call yourself a psychic. No, uh-uh. <laughs> for years you just said you were a card reader. I was an intuitive or a tarot card reader. Now it's funny because, and we're going to get into a little bit about how you started, and some of the... You, you've you done some huge, huge things. As a matter of fact, you and I are in the process of collaborating. I'm supporting you as you are writing a book on your experiences, your process, your pathway. And we're doing it in what I think is a really, really cool way. Mm-hmm. Because most people, when you talk about the cards... They're going to say, this card means A, B, C, or D. Mm-hmm. And is what it means right side up. Here's what it means upside down. Instead, you're doing something that I find is fascinating. You're telling stories that really illustrate the energy of the card. So instead of being talked at or talked to, you're bringing people in with you so that they can viscerally understand the energy of a card. So if they see it, it's not so much about, oh, well, it has to mean this. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's experiential. And I love that you're doing that. You're not only doing the book, but also playing with some ideas of doing a deck of your own to represent that book. Yeah, I'm going to do just the major arcana. So it'll just be 22 cards. The book is 22 chapters, essentially. And as you said, they explain different stories that match the card. And, you know, you've been awesome in that, in that, you know, Greg basically interviewed me and got it out of me, the stories out of me that way. And it's been a real journey also just um, in terms of just not just getting that book out, but um, what I've evolved, how I've evolved through writing it. Because reliving those stories from this vantage point has been extremely healing and also has given me a sense of the breadth of work I've done and how it's, it's impacted people. It's been really cool to sort of go, wow, actually I have made a difference in some ways. And, it's, and all of those people made a huge difference and impact on me too. That's the thing is that, and, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, one of the things that I find wonderful about writing this book is how much you've had the courage to look at yourself in different stages and how much it's been an opportunity to love yourself at each of those stages. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, thank it's you. It's just really, really cool. All right, we have reached the top of the hour. You do have a website, correct? Yes, um, it's noelladowns.com. Noella, N-O-E-L-L-A, Downs, one word, 
www.getstartedwithmeshaun.com. If you go there, you'll go to Getting Started and Scheduler, and you'll be able to see my rates, and you'll be able to make an appointment with me when I'm available. Excellent. All right. So we are here with Noella Risley Downs. We are about to switch over to the top of the hour. If you want to call in, this is a good time to do so. 949-715-5936. And Noella will take a lot of your questions and see what we can do with it. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, and we'll see you on the other side.
KXRN LP. Laguna Niguel, Laguna Beach. Beach. Member supported KXFM on 104.7. KXFMRadio.org. This disclaimer is a statement notifying listening audiences that any opinions expressed on our shows are not representative of Laguna Radio Inc., its management, or its board of directors. My name is Greg Friedman. I am a modern version of those that have existed in every culture. I am a guide. For years, I have taken people all over the world to work with indigenous elders in exotic locations, only to show you that you are the magic, and we just help you realize it. It can be terrifying to look at our fears, and sometimes even more so to look at our strengths. I take you out into the wild, into the unknown, for an inner journey. Buckle up, baby, because we back. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman on KXFM 1047. Social media is Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, and the website is gregfriedman.com. Tonight, we are hanging out with a friend of mine, Noella Risley Downs, and she's not only a friend, well, she is an amazing psychic. I actually met her through another guest that we had on this program, Rob Worgen, in who is does beautiful work with angels, um, invited me over his house. And I walked in the door, and he said, this is Noella, she's going to read you. And Noella and I looked at each other and went, um, what? <laughs> Fairly accurate, right? Very accurate. And then I sat down and I said, nobody could read me. And she went, uh-huh. and proceeded to read me just so y'all know thank you greg thank you all right we have some people lined up already and we're just going to get to it are you okay with that yeah absolutely all right so on line one we have john john has texted and also called in john do you have some questions for noella this evening i do Hi, John. Good evening, Noella. Um, So I have some general kind of sounding board questions, really two questions. Okay. Question number one is kind of a question of priorities. I have a lot of irons in the fire, and I'm kind of wondering what should I gravitate towards? What should I put most of my effort into? What should I make a high priority in the short term? versus the long term or can you read anything general like that without a backstory um i don't need a backstory but i need a clearer question what what do you mean by a clearer question what are you looking in other words um what what is it you're trying to decide are you trying to decide something to do with your work are you trying to decide something to do with your love life what what arena are we talking Uh, about yeah not my love life no it's it's um it's more like a question of work versus um creative projects versus um okay Got typical it. family life uh <clears throat> what should i devote m- more energy to or can you see anything uh-huh. with it? i try and juggle a lot of different things and um sometimes i feel like i'm spreading myself too thin okay yeah i feel like uh, the the biggest thing it's showing me is that the way for you to, I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do, but I can tell you how to figure that out. And that is 
that you need to, uh, you're very, um, your habit is to take care of everything and everyone and not to focus on what it is you really want. And so what's happening is you are spread too thin and you do need to make some decisions, but it looks like you're concerned, like your value is very high on doing the right thing and the responsible thing. And you've been doing that for a very long time. And right now, if you want to feel a sense of satisfaction and joy and inspiration in your life, it's gonna take you going the creative path. And, and feeling and feeling a little bit selfish, but not being so. I think you need to take care of what your creative aspect and put the other stuff aside for now or at least prioritize the creativity that you have. It, it's showing me that that's the part that's, that you've been blocking for a long time in lieu of what you feel you, you need to do or what you're responsible for. And so, yeah, it, it shows me that very clearly that you need to focus on the creative venture or ventures that you have been sort of putting in the back burner out of a sense of responsibility. Does that resonate for I you? like the answer. Right. It does. I like right. the answer. I like the answer to put, put more energy into the creative projects. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> not, not everybody in my circle would, would dance around uh, at that answer, but hey, uh, I appreciate that. So here's the even more important question, really, okay. because it, 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 um, it revolves around my daughter great person, uh, very talented, intellectual, an academic, um, a- an athlete. Uh, I mean, I could go on, obviously, I'm mm-hmm. a proud parent. But anyway, she's <laughs> Jean, and as is the case with many young people, um, she's having issues w- maintaining uh, loyal, reliable friendships. Mm-hmm. And um, the question, I'm sort of like wondering, where will this loyal, reliable counterpart that I do see coming, where will that person arrive from? Where where will we look? Where will we find that person? Is it, do we need to look in a different place? I mean, I, I know it's not my job. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, uh, okay. um, can, do you have any information on that? Yeah. Um, your daughter is a really um, strong energy, and she's she's very talented, and she's multi-talented, and she's also extremely nice. And um, her habit yeah, is to attract true. people that take advantage of that because people love true, her. They true. love her energy and they want to steal her energy, basically. They're sort of feeding off of it. And because she's yeah. um, a kind person, it takes her a lot to decide you're not necessarily a good person. <laughs> um, she tends to attract that and then not be able to release that. And thus the sort of feeling mm-hmm. like betrayed or, you know, sort of abandoned by mm-hmm. people. But the way that she will do, change that is when she stops, when she starts being able to say no. And when she stops, mm-hmm. um, when she stops catering to people simply out of a need to be a nice or good person, mm-hmm. um, she thinks it's not—it's not exactly people pleasing, but it's—it's it's not having the discernment to know when people are uh, taking advantage of her because she feels so fortunate. So she has a hard time, mm-hmm. you know, when she sees somebody that's at a disadvantage, whether it's their looks or their talent or whatever. She feels like she needs to sort of be the support. Um, and it feels like she doesn't really look for friendships or doesn't really attract equal friendships. She um, tends to attract people that are not so equal and then also um, that she can't then get rid of unless it's in, a, in sort of an ugly way. And usually that's on their part. When she starts to be able to be firm about like only being around people that she can actually gain something from. Mm-hmm. that's when it will change the dynamic. She's, she's so interested in allowing, helping people elevate that she's not herself 
giving herself the opportunity to elevate. And that means sometimes being alone. And I think she has a hard time with that too. So it's important that she starts to be able to say like, okay, I might not have certain friends or a lot of friends for a little bit. And I'm just going to be being me, like fully me and not like dimming myself a little bit to make other people comfortable. And by doing that, she's going to attract people that are on that same energetic level. She's, she's a very kind person. And, um, but her personality is strong and she does tend to, just by her dynamic and just by who she is, she tends to outshine most people. So it's going to be a yeah. little bit trickier for her. But if she stands her ground and she knows what her value is and she stops just being friends because people want to be her friend, she'll be fine. Does that resonate as well? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, God, I would say that's paraphrasing what I've told her previously. I, I say, I think there's different periods in people's lives where they, when they invest in themselves and uh, don't concern themselves with the opinions of others as mm -hmm. much, mm -hmm. and eventually people want to come to the party when they see w what success you're achieving, even on your own. Mm hmm that's kind of how my life has worked anyway. So um, I, I, I just feel like sometimes it's a confidence that hasn't grown yet, even though it's definitely, um, you know, worthy. She's worthy of being confident. She's just not always confident yet. But, yeah. And if it's I like, okay. I like it. If it's okay with both of you. I'd like to add a little bit of something I see as well, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. <clears throat> Most people think when they break a pattern, it only breaks that pattern going forward. What we don't understand is breaking a pattern resonates exponentially like a stone in a pond. You see the ripples going outward, but what you don't see is the ripples going down and up equally. What I mean by that is... I hear your question about you, I hear your question about her, and I see the pattern that's ancestrally handed down. And mm, as, yeah, you work, that too, as you work to break your own pattern, and the more successful you are with that, the more those ripples will positively affect her in her own pathway. Mm -hmm. Right now, what I would uh, that's, say- uh, That's all I really need. Yeah, yeah. Ahead, yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, your sister, your daughter will be so fine. Like, she's fine. It's just this is a period she has to go through, and then she'll figure it out. A lot of times we learn the hard way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much for calling into Inner Journey and KX. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a great night. You Thank too. you, Noah. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. We have another caller for you on hold right now, but before we get to them, can I tell a little bit about, and if you say no, it's okay. It's your show. <laughs> it's your show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where you've come from, where you worked, and so, some of the um, different shows that you've been on before. Do you okay. mind? No, I don't mind. Um, I don't want to talk about where I, my, my grassroots were just because I don't want to necessarily include them in case they don't want to be included. But um, I did, I've done a lot of events and a lot of TV, and um, like I did, you know, the Tonight Show. So there was a small chain of show of stores in Los Angeles mm -hmm. that were known throughout the world to provide things like readers mm -hmm. or crystals or incense or any kind of a multitude. And you walked in there one day and said, Hey, yeah. 
<laughs> you need a new psychic. <laughs> you need readers. That was before I had done Strangers. I was reading for my friends. And I was acting at the time, and I needed a side gig, as we all do. And uh, one of my friends said, you, you're really good. You should just try going in there. You know, we'd gotten readings, you know, once in a while at the store. So I walked in there, and I said, um, are you guys looking for psychics by any chance? There's, there's 11 psychics on at a time there. Mm. And um, the girl behind the desk, the manager, said, you know what? I'm so sorry. We don't have anyone. Usually we don't have anyone. But... If you like, we'll put you on a waiting list. So they did, and um, and I forgot about it. And about three months later, they called me and said, somebody just quit, we need somebody today, can you come in today? And I did, and I took on as many shifts as I could, and I started reading as many people as I could, and I loved it, I really enjoyed that period, actually. And they had an events uh, coordinator that would book different celebrity events and different TV gigs and stuff, and they started sending me out on those because they felt like it would be a natural transition for me. And that's when I started kind of growing a lot, was from doing those kinds of events. And am I allowed to mention any of the TV shows you've done? Sure, had? sure. Um, I did The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. I did uh, Good Morning Britain. I did uh, E! Entertainment, the Grammys, twice, I believe. Uh, there's a show called Blind Date that I did. <laughs> <laughs> that was epic. That was I did that a couple of times. I did another show that I can't remember what it was called, but it was one. It was it was during the Survivor period when that was big. There's a bunch of reality shows, and there's one where they all lived in a house together, and I did that. Big Brother. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I did Fantasy Island. I did a bunch. I did a bunch. Yeah. All right, and your website again is my website is noelladowns.com. And my uh, social media is the Playful Mystic at TikTok, and then Instagram the Playful Mystic also. Perfect. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to get Terry Ann on air with you, and we'll see what she has to ask you. Awesome. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, and we are here with Noella Risley Downs. From a 
Hi, this is James Redfield, author of The Celsine Prophecy, and you're listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman. Y'all heard the man. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman. Another beautiful soul. I love James Redfield. He is just a sweet and brilliant man. However, we ain't here with him right now. We are here with Noella Risley Downs. She is a really accurate and eloquent psychic and has done so much work on herself that as she grows, then she is able to help others grow. I mean, I'd like to say it any other way, but it really is a strong part of her passion. Her reason for being is to be of service. And the thing is, um, I don't know if it's come through in the readings or not. She is incredibly humble about what she does, and to the point almost too humble. And as of late, just like all of us, she is learning to claim herself as herself. And that's why I get to have the honor of being a friend and also reminding her how incredible she is. And if you all have friends and they're not doing that, it's time to change your village. That's all I'm saying. Noella, welcome back to Inner Journey. Thank you, Greg. Your website one more time is? NoellaDowns.com. NoellaDowns.com. So you went, there was a part of you as you're in this crazy world that you were in before, you had already started doing readings and you were still imbibing and going through your whole process Mm -hmm. and there was a place where it changed for all of you who didn't hear the first hour go back and listen it's absolutely important and vital to understand that and i say this over and over and over again shaman and medicine men and people of service are often the ones that are the most screwed up on the planet the difference is as they are working through it, they're working through it as a part and parcel of both learning how to be of service better and just learning how to be themselves ultimately mm-hmm. better. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like when I did the readings in the beginning, it was just this really fun, lucky gig I had, you know, and it was never performative. I always knew that I was pretty good at it and that I was on point because I had very good clients and they were always coming back and I was getting referrals. And for a long time, it was just referrals only. So that's how I knew that I was on point. Mm. But I still didn't understand what the source of it was and why it might be important and how to affect people. Really, I just it was just really just something really cool that I could do. What's you know? the source of it? <clears throat> to me, well, first of all, I think we're all connected. So I am reading you. I'm, I'm really just telling you what you already know on some level. Um, I, I believe I'm connecting to your higher self um, mm. and that there is um, a universal um, energy that we're all connected to and that we all, you know, that resides within each of us. So I am just speaking to a side of you that you don't know how to speak to basically. And so a lot of times when I talk to my clients, they'll see all that they really needed was reassurance, validation. Sometimes they're blind to the stuff completely. And sometimes there's stuff I see that's coming up that there's just no way they could see. But when I'm doing that, I, again, I feel like I'm connecting to your higher self. Yeah, it's interesting because what I heard you say is a lot how I describe my work. I go, I'm going to hold <clears> up a mirror and no matter which way you turn, you're going to see that mirror and it's going to have a spotlight on it mm -hmm. so that it makes everything bright and visible. Now, what you do with that, I mean, to the point of denial or mm -hmm. acceptance mm -hmm. is not up to me. Absolutely. And it's up to each of us to choose how we want to show up in this world mm -hmm. and how much of ourselves we want to see. Now, that's one thing I wanted to know. And after... We talked to Terry Ann. I want to ask you a little bit more about the cards themselves. Is that okay with you? Oh, I love that. And Terry Ann, if I remember correctly, is calling <laughs> in from Utah. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Welcome back to Inner Journey. It's been a long time since you called in. How are you? It has. I'm doing okay. I'm... Uh... I did the same thing I did last time I called in. I called in and didn't expect his phone to answer. And I said, well, now what am I going to ask him? So, <laughs> what's your question? What I'm, I'm excited to find out. I'm really not sure still. I went outside and walked around and grounded myself a little on the freezing cold wet grass. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess maybe I'll give a little bit of information about... Um, I'll I've tell you what, babe, before you go down that road, Terry Ann, yeah. I, I know a lot of that information already because you've yes, shared you with do. us before. Now, so yes, what I want do. to know is if you okay. had one question that you had to ask, I mean, and you don't have to ask it, but if you had right. one question that you had to ask right now, something that you want to know about your relationships, about your work, about your health, what would it be? Um, I guess maybe it might be um, a probably a health question because that seems to be the biggest thing in my way for mm -hmm. doing anything else I want to do. Okay. Would be is there something I'm missing that I'm not seeing? Other than that, okay, I really don't know. Okay, what well, it, it does show me that you've had a, a health concern, but that that has affected different aspects of you for a while now, and it's sort of become kind of a normal part of your life now. And I think that there's aspects of you that are um, unsubconsciously holding on to some of that, but also there's the stuff in the way, like it's not simple stuff. So I feel like that's been weighing you down a lot, but because you've been dealing with it for a long time, you're accustomed to that. 
what it shows me is that 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 being accustomed to that is what's in the way. It's your acceptance that that's just the way it is. So what it's showing me is that when you decide in your mind that it literally does not have to be this way, that there is an answer even though you haven't found it, and when you're open to that idea that any day something could change your condition, you will start to see the answers. But right now, because you've been experiencing it in a certain way where there seem to be a lot of blocks and and you've been experiencing it, you know, you're dealing with it. You, you, there's a, a certain sort of familiarity that you've, you've come, become, you've become accustomed to it. And so that's the block. It's, it's sort of your, your belief that that's the way it is. Mm. You know, yeah, and, and it's, again, I, do, I understand why though, because it doesn't show me this is like just some little thing. And it does show right. me that you're getting a lot of feedback where that's what you're being told. And so when you're getting that from experts, that the idea is that you start to believe it. <laughs> But it's showing me that yeah. it's, it's time to understand that nobody's the expert, that the only person that's expert about their own body is the person. And the minute right. that you decide that, you know what, actually think that there's a solution. I just don't know that this is the route. And you, um, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about just the decision that this is not the way it's going to be. And that takes right. a, a, just a switch of mind. It's, it takes a state of mind where you have to hope again. And it feels like that's part of the problem, too, is that you don't want to hope because you don't want to be disappointed. So it's just showing me that if you continue the way you are, then you're then you're either way you're dealing with it. Right. But if you choose to say, like, maybe there's another way, then there's a chance you won't deal with it. So you're giving yourself an out just by choosing something else. And that's what the suggestion is. It does show me that regardless of anything I've just told you, that there is some relief coming up in the next three to four months for you regarding one particular issue. It looks like something sort of just, I don't want to say mysteriously disappears, but certainly <laughs> seems, to, seems to not show up so much. You will feel like one aspect of your health has improved quite um, viscerally in, in a way that you don't really understand. And, and for a while, you might not even notice. And when you do, you might think, oh, no, but it's going to come back. But it feels like that's one thing that's going to lift anyway. It does show me other stuff, but it just shows me one thing that's been sort of in the way the whole time that, you know, you have to experience a lot and you've become very accustomed to it. So it's not such a problem anymore. But when it goes, you'll realize how much it's been in the way. And that just happens. That's not because of something you do. Does that resonate for you? Yeah, she is good, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. But because I know you a little bit, I want to elaborate just a titch. Did you sure. hear the first hour with Noella? I missed almost all of it. That's okay. Almost so all she was talking about her journey about and her process. Minutes. And yeah. so what she was also talking about is how when she was in the midst of addiction that there was a part of her that told her that this was fun and easy and what she wanted to be doing. And, mm -hmm. and there was a, an understanding on one level that there was gratification or positive reinforcement for doing that. And right. <clears throat> you could tell me I'm wrong here. Have you been getting certain kinds of gratification for being incapacitated, for having all the meds you've had to be taken, for having all the different kinds of issues you've had to deal with. There was up until about a year ago. I was clueless about all of that. But, yeah, that all came through this year. Yeah. And so I'm stepping out of all of that now. Yeah. 
Good, good. I feel like yeah. that's that was a big yeah. step for you, and I feel like that's why you're even able to ask me the question you're having. Well, it, 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 as yeah. a result of that, you are going to see some change because it's just showing me sort right. of like that's sort of the culmination and of the, events. Uh-huh. Yeah, and one more time, fear is always usually the one that's in the way, and that fear of hoping after dealing with it for so long that something could actually really be different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but again, it's like don't it's look at difficult. it. It's this. It is yeah. difficult, but I think it's probably more painful to not. It's probably more painful yeah, to wake up every day and, and not believe it, right? So <laughs> it's it's a yeah. matter of just suspending it and just going. I might. I'm going to be in pain anyway, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that's yeah. one of the yeah. things that Noella spoke about. She said before she right. didn't. She felt it would be too painful to deal with some of the issues issues that were going on familially, relationship wise, profession wise, right. all those things. But in having had dealt with it or dealing with it, she feels, and you can jump in here Mm -hmm. and say it because it's your life and not mine, um, better relief, ease as a result of actually facing it instead of running from it, masking it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, sweetheart. You're welcome. Thank you, Terry. You are always a very appreciated part of Inner Journey. Thank you very much for calling in. Thanks, Greg. You're welcome. Man, I see you when people ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Even as you're warming up to have them ask you a question, you're feeling into the cards, you're playing the cards, you're shuffling the cards, and then even as they're beginning to ask the question, before they even fully express it, You've laid out a certain number of cards. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, what's happening is I'm just I'm. That's my way of tapping in, right? I'm I'm. A lot of times I'm not really looking at the cards, but it gives me a, a little bit of a window into what the issue, the underlying issue is. And so I'm shuffling because I'm feeling what they're saying at the same time. So I'm tapping in. And when I spread the cards, I pick, I, in my head, I always know okay, I'm going to pick one or two or three or whatever is the case for that particular question. And then usually the first card will tell me pretty much everything. And then some of them, other ones will tell me what else I can add to that. But with her, when she was talking, it just, you know, it just started seeing things. And I started to just know like, oh, wow, um, it's just a, she doesn't want to hope. You know, she doesn't she's afraid to hope. It's there's that sense of disappointment. Um, and yeah, when I'm doing the shuffling, it's sort of my way of checking out of being Noella, I guess. Okay. I would phrase it in opening up to being a channel. Yeah. Um, that's another way to put it. <laughs> it's a more eloquent way of, of putting it. It's not checking out. Um, that's not a great phrase, especially given what we're talking about. Um, it's not checking out. It's, it's putting my Noella, no, the person, the vessel aside so that I can be present for the, the person in front of me mm-hmm. and allow them to be speaking to me or their higher self to be speaking to me and to be, you know, just al- allowing myself to really hear what's going on, not necessarily the words, um, the energy behind what is being said or asked of me. And can you read people without the cards? Yeah. And do you find the cards are there predominantly for your own? And I'm not trying to lead mm-hmm, you. I'm mm-hmm. asking for your own ease. Yeah, I think the number one is a habit now because I just use them always. Um, but when I'm, let's say I'm at home and I'm doing it, I don't usually shuffle them. I'll just talk. But when I'm in a situation that's unfamiliar, for example, or when I'm reading comp- like in this format, there has to be to me a bridge of something. Mm-hmm. And the images tend to ignite certain feelings or thoughts. 
So for me, I like them. They're a great tool for me to open me up and to make me present to very tapped in and present to the current circumstance or the, the, the pressing question or whatever's being put before me. When I don't have them, I can do a lot of stuff, but that's once I'm in it. If I don't start with the cards, a lot of times I feel like I start to answer other things. It becomes broader. And in a format like this where we only have, you know, such so, so much time, it's just easier to sort of be succinct with mm. the cards. Yeah. And do you find it difficult to read people that you know more intimately? For example, it could run a wide spectrum. Mm -hmm. As you work with clients on a regular basis, obviously you're going to become more and more familiar with them, mm -hmm. their lives, mm -hmm. or friends. It's you already know them. Mm -hmm. Or do you feel yourself sort of, do you feel the human aspect of your being um, interfere with the channeling or the vessel that's no. a conduit aspect? No, I don't feel like it interferes. What interferes is the, the human part of me does interfere in that I don't sometimes want to hurt feelings. So it's not that I don't see the same exact thing. It's not that I'm able to, not able to connect. It's that uh, sometimes um, I don't want to be as direct as I should be because it's a friend and I know something I say, number one, I, and I know when they're going to resist a lot. And sometimes I'm just not up for the fight, especially if it's a friend. Mm -hmm. With a client, I'm usually up for it, but I also, I get close to them sometimes or I've known them for years and I know certain things are the, the one thing that they don't want to hear, you know? And so being able to relay that information is difficult. I will not lie and I will not withhold something that I know they need to know, even if it's hard, even if I lose them. Mm -hmm. But um, there are times when I've definitely softened the blow because I knew that they just weren't able, they didn't have the capacity to deal with at that time. And you've seen the full gamut of things. Mm -hmm. You've seen death. You've seen breakups of marriages, mm -hmm. of relationships. You've seen um, getting fired. Yeah. You've seen pretty much those prime primary considerations that mm -hmm. affect terrestrial humans. Yeah, and also I've seen things that they don't want me to know sometimes, which then, you know, how do you relay <laughs> that, <laughs> right? So sometimes that can get tricky, like if I know that they have an, a drug abuse problem and they're hiding it, or I know they're cheating on their spouse, or if I know that they're doing something maybe untoward with their money, you know, at work, and I, I you know, there's, there's ways of conveying that, you know, you might want to tighten up, you know, the strings or... You might want to be careful with your communications or you might want to talk to your husband or whatever. But I, I tend to not try to interfere in a way that makes them feel like I'm invasive. So even though they're there, you know, when getting a reading with me, a lot of times that's not the stuff that they're asking about. So that, that I'm seeing just happens that I'm seeing it. And uh, you know what I'm saying? So, so how do you discern to between answering the question and conveying the vision? It's like, how do you... You know, I'm seeing all this stuff, which means uh, to me and in my interpretation, it's here for you and it's being offered up to you and it's for me to share with you. However, if they're here for something that's way mm -hmm. in the next field over and you're asking something and you're being told something that's barely relevant to that, how do you how do you balance that? It's, it's pretty simple because um, a lot of times what I'm what I'm seeing the information for is so that I can under answer the question more fully. If I know all the information, like let's say, let's just use a, an obvious example. Like, okay, if I know that you're asking about your relationship with your, your spouse and you're cheating on them and you're asking me like, what do I need to do to fix it? I'm not going to say, well, you know, you should probably not be cheating. You know, what I will say is, well, there needs to be more honesty. There needs to be more discovery. You need to be more clear with them and go to them for assistance. Mm -hmm. I, I do that more unless they, unless it's very obvious and it's just like, well, is there something you want to tell me? I, I, I more try to get them to tell me so that, 
so that they don't feel like their privacy is being invaded. Because even though they're asking me, a lot of people don't realize how much you're seeing. You know, they just think you're seeing what they want you to see. A lot of clients lie to me. You know, they'll lie to me about why they're late. They'll lie to me about all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not going to call you out unless it's necessary. So to me, it, it, it just gives me more information to answer more fully the question. And it, it, it's usually, it usually can be navigated pretty well. Yeah, and it's always a fascinating, I know just from having worked with you on this book, mm -hmm. that even that was a process. Oh yeah, definitely, and, definitely. You know, and even the first time you read me, you were like, you looked at me and you were like, oh, that relationship is not going to last. <laughs> but you didn't say that. I didn't say it like that, no. But I did say that you were going to be being with somebody new. As I made allusions around it rather than just saying that's not going to last. It's, 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 it's kind of, it can be a bit much, you know, to say that. And you hadn't, by the way, asked for that reading that day. Oh, so I, it was, I it would have been for the reading. Yeah. And I ask a specific question. Right. So it wasn't to me, I was being very gentle because of that. Like it wasn't your, you, you allowed it, but you know, it would have been, it was a, it was a little bit different that day, you know, but in general, even if you, if you had asked it, I still would have said it pretty much the same way, or I'd have said to you, do you really want me to tell you everything I'm seeing? You did. And, and I, I said, did. And I went, you? Yes, you did. It hit me. And at which point I did, you know what I mean? But I do ask that permission because sometimes people just want you to know what they want you to know. And they want you to answer just what they came in for. And that's fair enough. That's what you're paying me for. And the website is noelladowns.com, correct? That's correct. correct. And we are going to be right back after a short break. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman.
Welcome back. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, and we are here with Noella Risley Downs. She is both a friend and a psychic, and as I said before, I've had some of the greatest psychics in the world on this program, and I count her among them, if not at the leader of that pack. Um, just because of her clarity, her conciseness, and and I'll tell you this, doing something on air is not really a fair reading in a lot of ways, because when you do a session with her, it really becomes in-depth, and you start to, it's somewhere between a spiritual session and a reading, because you're going to get a reflection of yourself, and what you do with that reflection is up to you entirely. How far off am I, Noella? Thank you so much for that. That was really lovely what you said, and I appreciate that. Um, it's very close. I don't des- definitely don't try to make it be necessarily a spiritual <laughs> thing, but I think it does come to that because I'm not trying to just give you a reading and fix uh, today's problem or issue. I'm trying to get you to be able to navigate your life in a, in a more effective way so that you have more control over that. You don't need to come back to me. You know, so That's the whole idea is to empower you. Gotcha. All right, so there's a lot of things going on. You do readings. We are collaborating on a book that really yes. goes through the 22 different cards. Yeah. And like I said, one of the things that excited me and really inspired me to do this with you is every other book that I found on readings and tarot talk to you. They talk at you. They say, here's what this means and here's how you're going to interpret it. You instead say, here's a story. This is what this card means to me. Yeah. And then that way, it's almost like being drawn in and having a conversation with somebody and it becoming more visceral, more experiential. So it's not, it's a difference between playing a game or sitting on the bench studying a game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that about this book and how we're developing it. And we're strongly, <clears throat> if I had my way, going to have a set of cards that accompany this. Yeah. And um, that will be, and the story, the book, and the cards will complement each other stunningly. Absolutely. And what a lot of people don't understand is when we choose a spiritual path or a path that we're passionate about, it doesn't mean that, that we have tunnel vision, that's the only thing that we do. Mm-hmm. There's so many other different ways that we study and that we incorporate. You've studied, I don't know, you are a, like a chronic study. <laughs> yeah. I've done a lot of work, and my biggest passion besides this is kundalini yoga. So I'm a certified kundalini yoga instructor and have been for about three years. Um, I, I love it. it. It was a big part of my journey, uh, my awakening journey and getting me my nervous system regulated and so forth as well as helping me to break through some, you know, manifestation and just becoming more in tune with my body and understanding how our body is a whole other energy field and how we can use that to magnify our manifestations and our life experience. And I'm very in love with it, as you can hear. And that beyond that energy healing, I have uh, Reiki, um, I'm Reiki two, master two, and I'm um, oh gosh, I love so many different things. As you mentioned, our friend Rob Worgen, I've been studying with him for approximately three years now, very closely, very intimately. I love everything about his work, um, his energy transformation, his healing, his work with the angels, which opened up a whole new other aspect of, of this with me. 
for me and and that has really broadened my capacity just working with him and working with the same beings that he works with has given me such a such more access to really being able to help people and to connect to people and you're setting up workshops next year yeah that are going to combine some of these skills you're going to have some of the kundalini some of the reading correct? yeah def i'm definitely not so much the readings as much as helping people to tap into their intuition for themselves mm -hmm. um meditation kundalini yoga um learning more about how they can themselves uh, support their awakening journeys or if they're not in that awakening phase how they can support their lives in manifestation so forth so i'm taking all these different things i've learned putting them together putting them into a situation where we can have people gather together and have fun doing it you know as i said my name on tiktok is the playful mystic and it's because i think that all of this stuff becomes much more accessible when we can have fun with it and people learn better just like you were saying with the book and stories teach you better playing teaches you better and you know i don't think we really captured it so much on this show but if you ever saw noella and i hanging out you're gonna go what are those two fools always <laughs> laughing about because we are incessantly poking and jabbing and playing and being goofballs and that's part of the joy of it yeah absolutely i think you know this journey this whole spiritual the inner journey is it's a lot you know it's a lot and i think if you don't have fun with it it's it, it's a lot you know i i'm personally gonna laugh my whole way to the stairs of wherever right like to the next life don't or to fall down them though <laughs> <laughs> all right Last question. Anything at all you'd want to share with our listeners this evening that we haven't? I think you have covered it, Greg. You did a fantastic we, job. We covered it. We covered the whole thing, I think. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. So I want you guys to, if you feel inspired after this show, to explore. Because I'm telling you, we only gave you what I would say is even an inaccurate taste. Because it was such a smidge of what noella can do during a reading her website is noelladowns.com and she can do readings for people and does readings for people literally all over the world it's not limited to geography so absolutely i know people listen to the show from all over the world if you're inspired and also if you have a question and you want to ask her ask her she's very open very easy and very much here to be of service absolutely noella you know i always have a blast hanging out with you and this is the first time i've had you on air and i'm really blessed and i'm glad to know you and i'm glad to have you in my little domain here thank you so much and thank you so much for being my collaborator on the book that's going to be amazing it is amazing already i'm telling you <laughs> part of the reason i'm having so much fun is because i'm just drawing out stories that are there of hers and they are so frigging cool Thank and you. <laughs> so it's like and it's they're so honest and elegant so noella thank you thank you all right you guys i say this every single week there's a ton of people that work their tushies off to make sure that we could do this program thank you to them and most of all Thank you to you guys, the listening audience. This show does not, cannot, will not exist without your participation. For that and so, so much more, I, we are hugely grateful. You've been listening to
inner journey with Greg Friedman. Good night.